Revelation chapter number three is where we're going to be today. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And most of the verses will be on the screen as well today. But Revelation chapter three is where we're going to be. And today we will be studying the church of Laodicea from Revelation three, starting in verse number 14. If you are ready to dive into God's word, would you say amen today? Starting in verse number 14, the Bible says this, And unto the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Today, for a few minutes this morning, I'd like to speak to this subject, no middle ground. No middle ground. Let's have a word of prayer together today. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this time that we can come together on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, we're so thankful for the songs that we've sung and how the lyrics pointed us to your power, your glory, your resurrection. And Lord, today, now that as we look to your word and as we specifically look to this letter that you wrote to the church of Laodicea, God, I pray that our church, Rock Hill, would understand how this letter applies to us and how uh, we can be sharpened uh, from our time together, how we can be edified. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit to give me the words to say uh, that would be beneficial for us. And we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said today. A few years ago, we were battling sickness in our house, household, and it seemed as though uh, all of our kids were getting sick, and Luke, and Blakely, and Liv, and even Katie, and myself, we were all just kind of uh, getting sick over the weeks, and so we decided to take this real serious, that we were going to uh, conquer these sicknesses, and so uh, we started using hand sanitizer all the time. This was before COVID, but we just had hand, and sanit hand sanitizer with us, and, and uh, uh, we made sure the kids weren't sharing things, and we were trying our best to uh, make sure that we weren't going to get sick, and we were doing pretty good. And we went by, I think, a whole week without anybody getting sick in our household. And then my youngest daughter, who was a baby at the time, Blakely, she got a fever and she got sick. And when she got sick, my son, Luke, who was four at the time, he was real bummed about that. And he said, oh, man, I guess I shouldn't have licked her so much. 
And my wife, Katie, said to Luke, Luke, what do you mean? Why, were, why, why did you lick her? And he said, uh, only when I was happy to see her. Like, that's just, that's what he said. Like, that's how he would greet her, I guess, when he would see her. He's just going to greet her with a holy lick, you know. And, uh, and uh, that's what Luke decided to do. You know, being sick is no fun at all. We do not enjoy being sick physically. And when we come to Revelation chapter number three, we find a church that was sick spiritually, This church was not a picture of a healthy church. In fact, so much so that when Jesus examines the works of this church, when he sees their actions, he says, your actions make me sick. Jesus says, when I consider your works, I want to spew them out of my mouth. And so what was so repulsive about this church? Jesus has strong words for the church in Laodicea. He says, I want to spew you out of my mouth. What were they doing that was so repulsive? Was it the sexual sin like in some of the other letters? Was it immorality or was it idolatry that was present in some of the other uh, churches? Well, Jesus does not specifically state those things, but what he does state is he states their spiritual apathy, that they were walking in indifference, that they were kind of just living in this middle ground spiritually. He says, you're not cold, you're not hot, you're lukewarm, you're right in the middle. And uh, and, uh, he says, this is making me sick. And so Jesus takes this very seriously, this middle ground, this, uh, uh, this middle lane. And so often this is where we find ourselves spiritually, that uh, perhaps we're not uh, cold, we're not distant from God, we're not angry, we're not rejecting Jesus Christ, and, but we're also not uh, real serious either. We're not on fire for the Lord, and we're not uh, going to get too carried away in our commitment. We kind of just live in this neutral area, this middle ground, this arena of apathy. Uh, there was one atheist blogger a few years ago. And this atheist blogger observed how uh, many Christians don't live with passion and they don't live with uh, sometimes a fervor and uh, they kind of live with apathy. And he said, uh, they're not so much atheists as they are, and he coined this term himself, he said, they're apatheists, that that they bow before the God of indifference that they live in this middle ground spiritually. Uh, But I want you to know today, right off the bat, everybody with me this morning, this is what I want us to know and recognize today, that when it comes to following Jesus, there is no middle ground. This is what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 12, in verse number 30. He said, he that is not with me is against me. Jesus drew a line in the sand. Either you're with me or you're against me. Uh, Joshua in the Old Testament said that we have to choose this day whom we will serve. He says there's no middle ground. You have to get off the fence. Uh, You have to choose and determine to follow Jesus. One, uh, Pastor Mark Batterson, he said this, I'm afraid we've cheapened the gospel by allowing people to buy in without selling out. You can buy in without selling out. But you know, the Bible says this, Jesus said, and he said unto them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. See, I'm here today to tell you that salvation costs you nothing, but discipleship costs you everything. And so often we are interested in the blessings of following Jesus while we want to ignore the cost of following Jesus. And we are looking for a comfortable and controllable and convenient version of Christianity. We want to stay in this neutral uh, middle ground. But Jesus was telling the church at Laodicea that they needed to move beyond the middle of mediocrity and into the calling that he had for them. Now, Laodicea was an interesting city. This was an interesting church, and this was an interesting letter uh, to this church located in this city. Uh, The uh, ancient city of Laodicea was known and prominent for three things. Uh, The first thing that they were known for was their finances. Uh, They were a center for commerce and banking, and they were very uh, wealthy. They had all kinds of theaters and entertainment venues and and, uh, large homes and and, uh, everything that you could want they had in Laodicea. In fact, just to kind of give you in your mind kind of some perspective, where Jesus grew up, the city of Nazareth, 
The average size for a home in Nazareth was about a modern-day parking stall. That was the size of a home. And sometimes their animals would live in there as well. And so that was kind of just par for the course. In Laodicea, historically, we know many of the homes were upwards of 2,000 square feet. And so these were large homes. They were advanced in technology. Many times they had indoor plumbing. And so they were very wealthy. In fact, on one occasion, we know historically, in AD 60, the city of Laodicea was completely destroyed by an earthquake. When Rome found out about this, the Roman Empire, they offered to send support. And they said, hey, we'll give you government funding to rebuild your city, to rebuild the city of Laodicea. But they were so wealthy and they were so proud and self-sufficient in themselves, they refused government funding. They said, you can keep your money, Rome. We'll rebuild our city ourselves. And so they were very wealthy. They were known for their finances, but they were also known for their fashion. Uh, there was this black wool that was produced in Laodicea that they would use for uh, garments and clothes and, and rugs. And this was considered a luxurious item. And so they were known for their fashion. They were all about Louis Vuitton and Gucci, and that's just what they had there in Laodicea. Uh, they loved they loved to talk about and emphasize what they wore. And so they were uh, wealthy. They were fashionable. The third thing that they were known for was their medicine. In Laodicea, there was a prominent medical school. And they produced this one particular tablet that they sold all over the ancient known world. And this tablet, you would crush it. You would mix it with water. It would create a paste. And that paste, they would rub it on people's eyes. And they believe that that paste would uh, cure many ailments of the eye. And so this is what I want you to understand about Laodicea. They had the best schools. They had the best entertainment. They had the best doctors. They had the best homes. They were completely proud and self-sufficient. We don't need anything from anybody. And just as so, so often is the case, the culture started to infiltrate the church, and in so doing, the church then became proud and self-sufficient. We don't need anything from anybody because we are doing just fine. And so Jesus writes a letter to this church that was right in the middle. They were struggling with apathy, and he has some sharp words for them. Now, I want you to see, just by way of introduction, how Jesus begins the letter. Are you ready for it today? Notice verse number 14. This is how Jesus begins the letter to the church in Laodicea. He says this. And unto the angel, the pastor or the messenger of the church of the Laodiceans, write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness. And so Jesus introduces himself as the amen. Now, sometimes in church, you know, that's a church word that we'll use, uh, amen, and you might be uh, visiting or newer to church, and you're thinking, you know, when people say amen, uh, what does that even mean? Uh, the word amen means of a truth. It means it's the truth. It means we agree to that as truth. Uh, I agree. It's so be it. It's the truth. And so Jesus is using that word amen, and he is applying it to himself. He is saying, I am the amen. I am uh, the truth. And I love this because what Jesus is doing here is he is amening himself. He's saying, I want you to know that I am the amen. Interestingly, as far as I can tell, Jesus never said amen at the end of a statement. He always said amen at the beginning of a statement as if to say everything that I'm about to tell you is absolute truth. And so he's telling the church at Laodicea, I am the amen. I am the, the, the true witness. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 20. For all the promises of God are in him, in who? Jesus. They are yea, they are yes, and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. Because of Jesus and in Jesus, aren't you thankful today that all the promises of God are yes and amen? And this is good news today because we are uh, very familiar in our world with broken promises. 
We are very familiar in our world of being skeptical as to what to believe and who to trust. And we are accustomed to being lied to. But Jesus says to the church at Laodicea, I want you to know that I am the amen. I am the truth. I am a true and faithful witness. Aren't you thankful today that we can trust the words of Jesus Christ? Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus says, I am the amen, the true and faithful witness. And then he goes on in verse 14, and he says this at the end of verse 14, the beginning of the creation of God. Now, some might be confused as to that phrase because it might sound as though Jesus is a created being. Notice it, verse 14. Everybody with me today? He says in verse 14, the beginning of the creation of God. But the word beginning in that verse is the Greek word arche. It means the chief or the source. And so this is the chief or the sort, just like we might have an archangel, the chief angel, that, that Jesus is the chief. He is the source of creation, just like we know in the book of Colossians that all things were created by him and all things were created for him. And without him was not anything made that was made. That Jesus Christ is the chief. He is the supreme ruler of all the creation. Now, this is good news because how is he starting this letter? He's saying, I want you to know that I am true and I am powerful. I am true, you can trust me. I am powerful, you can rely on me. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. I am the chief ruler of all of creation. And so he begins this letter with a powerful introduction to who he is, and then he gets to the heart of the letter. Then he's going to confront the problem, the issue of this sick church that was not healthy in Laodicea. And as we look to this church that was operating in the middle, what I want us to do is I want us to see three ways that we as a church can get out of the middle. Uh, three ways that we can move beyond the, the mediocrity of the middle. How many of you would say today that it's my heart's desire that I wouldn't be uh, content to stay in the mediocrity of the middle? Anybody like that today? How can we move beyond that, ap uh, that apathy uh, in our lives? Three ways. Number one is this. Number one, check your spiritual temperature. Notice verse number 15. It says this. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And so he is describing their spiritual temperature here. Now, when we're sick physically, we'll often use a, a thermometer. How many of you have ever used one of these before? All right. Some of you should try them. That haven't haven't used one before. Um, they're really they're really beneficial technology, right? And uh, and uh, we'll use these to to gauge our temperature to know if we have a fever, to know if we're sick, and it's a very useful tool. But spiritually, how do we check our temperature? Spiritually, there's really only three options. All right, everybody with me? There's only three options spiritually. You are either cold, you're hot, or you're lukewarm. Those are the only three options. Now, uh, Daniel, if you can grab some of these posters to help me for a second this morning. And uh, Dave, if you could help me again, and uh, Randy, if you could help me as well, and if you guys could come up here for a moment. There's really only three options here. Daniel, you can hold this first one that says cold, and uh, because Daniel is going to represent someone that is cold spiritually. And Randy eventually will get up here, but um, <laughs> Dave is going to be lukewarm. And uh, Randy, he might be slow, but he is hot on fire spiritually, okay? And so... So we have three options when it comes to our spiritual temperature. Uh, we are either cold, 
we are lukewarm or we are hot. Now, uh, I think it should be pretty obvious as to what these connotations might be. Uh, someone cold, someone is rejecting God, they are far from God, they are disinterested in spiritual things, there's no sign of repentance. It's not just someone that struggles with a certain sin or that's struggling spiritually, it's someone that is completely disengaged, completely disinterested in the things of God. Uh, they are living in open sin, unrepentant sin, cold. Then we have uh, someone that is hot spiritually. They have a fervor for the Lord. This is someone that's on fire for the things of God. They love reading the scripture. They, they love praying and talking to God. They can't wait to get to the house of God. You know, often we are in this season when we first get saved. When we first trust in the Lord, and man, we're so thankful for that, that we have a home in heaven, that God's been good to us, and man, we're just on fire for the Lord. But then right in the middle, uh, often we can be lukewarm. This is when we're not cold, we're not rejecting God. And we're not necessarily all in, but we're just kind of right in the middle, just kind of this lackadaisical, nonchalant approach to Christianity. Now, there's a reason Jesus offers these three options. There's a reason he's using this analogy, and it's because of the unique position of the city of Laodicea. I believe we have a map this morning to kind of show this and illustrate this. But Laodicea was right in the middle of two cities, Heropolis and Colossae. And to the north, you had Heropolis. Heropolis historically was famous for one thing, it's hot springs. And so you could remember it as hot springs Heropolis, that they just, uh, they were going to Heropolis as a vacation spot. They were known for their hot springs. And then you had uh, Colossae. Colossae was known for its refreshing mountain water. And so you can remember it as cold water Colossae. And so you have cold water Colossae, you have hot springs Heropolis, and right in the middle, you guessed it, we have lukewarm Laodicea. And so right in the middle, uh, Laodicea had this problem. See, Laodicea had everything. Laodicea had, there we go. Thank you guys for doing that. And uh, right in the middle, right in the middle uh, of, uh, of these cities, uh, Laodicea, they had this problem. They had an insufficient water supply, and they were very well accustomed to understanding. Uh, they were understanding uh, the lukewarm nature of their drinking water. They knew about the hot springs in Heropolis. They knew about the cold mountain water in Colossae, but they had this lukewarm water. By the way, uh, isn't it so frustrating when you are really thirsty and the only thing available is something lukewarm to drink? Like, like if I'm going to drink hot coffee, I want it to be hot. If, I, if I'm going to drink an ice cold uh, uh, soda, I want it to be ice cold, right? Uh, there's nothing more unappetizing than like a lukewarm Coca-Cola on a hot day, right? And uh, uh, they were very well familiar with this in Laodicea. They were lukewarm. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, I would rather you be, he says in verse 15, I would that you were cold or hot. Isn't that interesting? Jesus would say, I, I'd rather that you would be cold than lukewarm. Why would Jesus say, I would rather you be cold than lukewarm? Because someone that is cold at least knows it. Someone that's cold at least acknowledges that they're far from God. They, they know they're not right spiritually. They don't even care. Uh, they know, and they have a better chance of repenting and seeing their need because they're aware of their need. That They know that they're cold. But someone that's lukewarm, often a lukewarm person is the last person to know it. We can be struggling with our spiritual temperature and not even be aware of it. And so Jesus uses this analogy because he knew that it would get the attention of the Laodiceans. You guys can find a seat. Thank you so much. Let's give it up for our volunteers this morning. Now, here's the question that I have for us, okay? If we're going to not be in the middle, lukewarm Laodicea, how do we get back on fire for the Lord? Anybody interested in that? Like, how do we have that passion? Uh, you can't just fake passion, 
right? You can't just, you can't just uh, manufacture that. So how do you cultivate it? How do you instill passion and to get on fire for the Lord? Uh, the Bible says this in 2 Timothy 1, 6. Uh, Paul was writing to a young pastor named Timothy, and he said, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Paul was writing to this young man, Timothy, who was struggling with, you guessed it, apathy. Timothy was discouraged. He was a young man in the ministry. He was discouraged, uh, trying to figure out, man, how should I move forward? And Paul says, hey, I want to encourage you to stir up the gift of God that's within you. That, that, that phrase, to stir up the gift of God, it means to fan the flame. Just like if you have a bonfire, you have a fire, and it's getting ready to go out, and you want to fan that flame because you don't want it to go out. This is what Paul is saying to Timothy. You need to do this spiritually. Fan the flame. Don't let that spiritual fire die out. You have to reproduce it within yourself. Uh, the Bible says this, in Luke chapter 24, there was this scene when after Jesus' resurrection, he's walking on the road to Emmaus, and he's talking with two disciples, and uh, after Jesus leaves and he departs from them, those two disciples look at each other, and they're just talking about the conversation that they just had, and they say something very revealing. Are you interested in what they say? Luke 24, 32, and they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way? And while he opened to us the scriptures. After Jesus walked away, after Jesus left, they said, man, our heart was burning within us. Man, we were just on fire. Man, that was so exciting. There was a, there was a, a passion that was contagious. And didn't our hearts burn within us while we walked along the way? And while he opened unto us the scriptures. You want to get your fire back? Open up this book. You want to get a spiritual passion back? Start reading the words of God. Uh, you, you want to be on fire for the Lord and you want to get passion again about the things of God? You have to know what the word of God says and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And when you are spending time with Jesus and spending time in his word, there will be a passion and an excitement that is ignited for the cause of Christ. We have to be spending time uh, in the word of God. And so number one today, we have to check our spiritual temperature and we have to uh, self-diagnose. Uh, but... Uh, when it comes to self-diagnosis, this leads us to our second thought today, we can't rely on it. Number two, don't rely on self-diagnosis. Notice verse 17. It says this, because thou sayest, I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. Uh, they were self-diagnosing themselves, the church in Laodicea. They said, man, we're rich. We have all the goods that we want. Uh, we uh, don't need anything. That was their self-diagnosis. Now, in life, we're not very good at self-diagnosing, even when it comes to our physical things, uh, our physical needs. How many of you have ever been sick and you just started Googling symptoms? You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you go to like Mayo Clinic or WebMD and you're like, man, I have this? Wow, you know, like um, I need to email my doctor right away. And uh, we're not great at uh, self-diagnosing. And often when it comes to our spiritual climate, we're not great at self-diagnosing because there was this uh, contrast in verse number 17 between the things that they were saying and what Jesus said they actually knew. I want you to see it. Do you have your Bible today? Notice in verse 17. He says, thou sayest, I am rich, increased with goods, have, nothing, have need of nothing, and knowest not. There was a disconnect between the things that they were saying and the things they actually knew. Jesus was saying, you are saying that you're okay, but you don't know your actual spiritual condition. And so Jesus is going to expose their actual spiritual condition. Can I just tell you that when it comes to your spiritual climate, uh, the Bible says in James 1 that we can be deceivers 
deceiving our own selves. We can lie to ourselves and we can believe that lie and convince ourselves that we're doing just fine. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 30, verse number 12, there is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. Can I just tell you today, at the end of the day, it's not about how you think you're doing. At the end of the day, it's about how God views and how God thinks you're doing. Because there is a generation that's pure in their own eyes. It's like the last verse of the book of Judges, that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That, hey, according to my standard, according to what I see in culture today, I'm doing just fine. But we cannot look to a cultural standard. We have to look to a biblical standard. Because there is a more sure uh, word uh, of truth. There's a more sure word of prophecy that we look to. It's in uh, the word of God. And so uh, they thought that they were doing okay, but Jesus exposes them. Now, how did Jesus view this church? He uses some pretty descriptive words in verse number 17. And I want us to look at them. Are you ready? Notice what he says. He says, you don't know and knowest not that thou art, first of all, he says, you are wretched. And I think each one of these words Jesus uses on purpose to describe the condition of the city of Laodicea and the church at Laodicea. He says, you're wretched. You know what the word wretched means? Poor in quality. Which is interesting because what did the Laodiceans pride themselves in? The best clothes, the best fashion, the best goods. We have the best quality. Feel our wool. It's the best. You won't find anything else anywhere in the world. Only here in Laodicea can we produce this. Man, we have the best quality. And Jesus says, actually, you're wretched. Your spiritual quality is very poor. He goes on in verse 17, and he says, and you are miserable. You might have some temporary happiness, and on the outside, you might be smiling because you have all of these goods, and you're a 2,000-square-foot home there in Laodicea, and you might have some temporary happiness, but Jesus says, I know your real condition. You're miserable. By the way, only Jesus knows deep down the deepest needs and desires of our heart. On the, on the outside, we can put on all kinds of uh, performances and superficial uh, realities, but only Jesus knows the true nature, and he says, you know what? You are miserable. By the way, can I tell you that true joy and eternal joy is only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can find some temporary satisfaction in all kinds of places, but if you are looking for satisfaction uh, that goes beyond just the here and now and lasts for all of eternity, look no further than the person of Jesus Christ. He is the living water. He is the bread of life. He is the resurrection and the life. Anything that you need in life, Jesus is able to provide. And so he looks at the Laodicean church and he says, you're actually wretched, poor in quality. You're miserable. You don't have real joy. Verse 17, then he says this, and you're poor. I wonder if when that was read in the, in the church initially there, in the church at Laodicea, if there would have been like some gasps in the room. Did he just call us poor? Apparently he hasn't seen my $300 sandals. Like we are not poor. Like, like my bank account's looking pretty good. They were rich in Laodicea. But Jesus says, you might be rich physically, but you are poor where it really counts. You are poor spiritually. Uh, do you have riches here on earth or do you have riches in heaven? And, and so he says, you are wretched, you are miserable, you are poor. He goes on, he says, you are blind. Now, what was Laodicea known for in its medical school? That that little tablet that would give people sight and Jesus is saying, what does it matter if you can see physically if you are blind spiritually? What does it profit a man if he'll gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And Jesus was saying, you need to have spiritual vision. And right now you're blind. You cannot see afar off. You don't even, you're, you're unaware of your own spiritual condition. And then he closed by saying, by saying this in verse 17, and naked. This speaks to their shame. They were known for their clothing and their fashion. But Jesus says, uh, uh, you are naked spiritually. And so Jesus is exposing the reality. <clears throat> they thought they were good. 
But Jesus says, this is your actual condition. And so what's the principle for us today? Are you with me? The principle is we cannot rely on self-diagnosis because we are quick to get it wrong. I remember the first time I ever went snowboarding, and uh, my mom gave me some money to go with my friend to the store. We went to Walmart because I didn't have any snow clothes, uh, just nothing to go to the mountain. We were getting ready to go snowboarding here at Mountain High in, in Wrightwood, and I was in sixth grade. My mom gave me some money. We went to Walmart, and uh, I started shopping to get some snow clothes. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget uh, the outfit that I purchased and bought that day. And uh, the first thing that I bought was a pair of yellow windbreaker pants. They were not snow pants. They were just yellow pants. They were the kind that had a zipper right here that you could turn them into shorts if you wanted. Remember those? It was like genius idea. If I'm hot, I'll just unzip these things and have some shorts. And so I had bright yellow pants. Then I went and found uh, the biggest jacket I could find, this green jacket that looked like a snow jacket, had a giant fur hood. I later found out that it was a woman's jacket. It was a little tight around the waist. And I bought that uh, green woman's jacket with my yellow pants. At home, I already had a beanie, so I didn't need to buy a beanie. It was The only beanie I had was an orange beanie. So I had an orange beanie, a green woman's jacket, yellow pants. I didn't have any goggles to wear. I knew I needed some goggles, but I didn't have enough money. And so I was really into paintball at the time. And I just decided I'm just going to wear my paintball mask. And so I went to the mountain and uh, I was there on the bunny slopes, first time ever snowboarding. And I was wearing my orange beanie, my paintball mask, my yellow zip off pants and my green woman's jacket. And I can honestly tell you, I thought that I looked cool. <laughs> like, I thought that I was just killing it. Like, just uh, people, like, looking by, just giving them the nod. Like, I thought that I was doing great. Now, looking back on it, I can see how foolish and how oblivious I was. And so often, we can look at our lives spiritually, and we can convince ourselves, just like the church at Laodicea, I have increased goods. I am in need of nothing. I'm doing just fine here in the middle. Why would I want to get uncomfortable? I'm doing just, things are going just fine. But rather than self-diagnosing, this is what we ought to do. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, this ought to be the prayer of all of our hearts today, not just what we view and what we think about ourselves, but God, search me. Examine me. Expose me. Convict me to lead me in the right path. Psalm 26, 2. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. And so today, Number one, we have to check our spiritual temperature, cold, hot, uh, lukewarm. We have to not rely on self-diagnosis. And here's a third thought today. Number three is this. Listen carefully to Jesus. Listen very carefully to the words of Jesus. Notice verse number 18. It says this. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Now, Jesus says, I'm going to give you some counsel. Now, how many of you think if Jesus himself is going to give us some counsel, we might want to pay attention to that counsel, right? Like we can go and pay money for counseling. We can get counseling in all kinds of places. But if Jesus is saying, hey, can I give you a piece of advice? We probably should listen to what Jesus has to say. And he says, I'm going to counsel you with a couple of things. Verse 18, uh, buy of me gold tried in the fire. He's going to He's going to challenge their shopping habits. I think the Laodiceans love to go shopping. They had all the money in the world. They love fashion. And Jesus is saying, you need to buy some new things. Let me tell you what you need to purchase. He says, first, buy of me gold tried in the fire. He says, you already have physical riches, but you need spiritual riches. So, so come to me, and I'll give you uh, spiritual riches. I'll give you an inheritance that will last eternally. Verse 18, that thou mayest be rich in a white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed. You already have the best clothes in the world, but what you need is a white raiment representing purity, not just physical garments, but spiritual garments that Colossians chapter three says that we have to put on uh, those physical garments. So put on the white garment. 
and the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. He's saying, yes, it's good that you can see physically, but you need spiritual vision. You need to ask God to give you eyes so that you can have spiritual perception to see the things that are going on in your family, to see the things that are going on in your marriage, to see the things that are going on in our culture today that we can't afford just to be blind and just uh, uh, oblivious to the things that are taking place in the world. But we have spiritual vision. Now, Jesus is going to close by giving, offering counsel in three different ways. And I want to close by offering these three, these three things. First, he's going to offer an explanation. Notice verse 19. You with me today? Just a few more minutes. Verse 19. It says this. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And I love that Jesus includes this because he's saying, I know that I'm being hard on you. I know that I'm offering correction. But the reason I'm offering correction is because I love you. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He says, I I, I love you and I love you enough to correct you. Can I just tell you that when it comes to conviction in life, and by the way, you should at times feel conviction in life. If it's been a while since you've come to church and gone to a small group and read your Bible, and it's been a while since you've been pricked in your heart, it's been a while since you've experienced that conviction, you need to take a step back and ask, man, do I have a seared conscience? Am I sensitive to the things of God? because we should feel conviction at times. It's uncomfortable, it's painful, but please let me tell you, and always remember this, conviction is a gift. It's a gift from God intended to keep us in the right lane. It's a gift from God to steer us in the right direction. And Jesus is saying, I'm rebuking you because I love you. I love you too much to leave you in this middle of mediocrity. I love you too much to keep you in this lukewarm state. And then he says in verse 19, he offers an explanation. The reason why is because I love you. And then he offers an exhortation or instruction. Notice it, verse 19. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. He says, be zealous. Everybody kind of nudge your neighbor and say, be zealous. The word zealous means this, to be on fire, to be hot. Don't just go through the motions and just kind of have a meh personality when it comes to the things of God. He says, be all in. Be zealous with what you do. Hey, bring excitement and energy. We can get excited about all kinds of things in life. But why is it when it comes to the things of God that we are so often apathetic? He says, be zealous. Be on fire for the Lord. We believe at Rock Hill that passion covers depths of insufficiency. That it doesn't matter how talented you are, how skilled you are, what kind of education, what kind of background. If you have a fervor for the Lord, if you have zeal for the Lord, if you have passion for the Lord, that that passion covers depths of insufficiency. And I'm thankful today that we have a church that is on fire for the Lord, that we want to see things done for the glory and for the cause of Christ. There's a big difference between being interested and being invested. And in this season as a church, we've had so many uh, new people visiting uh, by the grace of God. And we're so thankful for the work that God is doing. And maybe that there are some that are on the fence that are interested. And I would encourage you today, if the Lord leads, to be invested. You know, there's two types of people when getting into a pool. How many of you, when you're getting into a pool, I'm going to go over here in the bad light for a second. How many of you, when you get into the pool, uh, you kind of just take one little step in and you kind of check the temperature and you kind of just sit there for maybe 10, 15 minutes and then you'll go to the next one. How many of you do that? You operate like that. Okay. How many of you just go to the pool and you just jump in? You're just going to get in, get it over with. I think that when it comes to serving the Lord, when it comes to ministry, we ought to be all in. We ought to be ready to jump in for the cause of Christ. 
I love the passion. If there's any of the disciples that certainly had passion, it was Peter, right? Peter had passion. He was ready to cut off somebody's ear for the cause of Christ. He was just passionate about the things that he did. And I love this one scene uh, after the resurrection of Jesus that the disciples, they go fishing again, and they kind of return back to that uh, old lifestyle that they had as far as fishing, that occupation, and they see Jesus on the shore. And they see Jesus on the shore, and Peter desperately wants to go to Jesus, and this is what he does in John chapter 21. Are you with me? Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, I love how John always wants to say that. He was talking about himself. He says, that disciple whom Jesus loved, it was me, uh, say it to Peter. It is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded up his fisher's coat upon him, for he was naked. In other words, he was fishing. He didn't have a shirt on. And so he throws his garment on, and he did cast himself into the sea. Peter just jumped into the water. And the other disciples came in a little ship, and I love this part, for they were not far from land, but as it were, 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. It's like the other disciples were like, Peter, we're not even that far away. But Peter was like, I can't wait. I've got to jump in. You guys can stay in the boat if you want, but I'm swimming. I'm jumping to Jesus. Peter was operating with this kind of passion that we need in 2023 in the church that says, you know what? We want to serve God and reach people with a life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus, and we can't do it half-heartedly. We've got to be all in. I don't want to stay in the middle of mediocrity. I want to move forward. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Sometimes people might think, man, why do you get so excited in church? Because everything that we do is for the Lord. It's not for us. And we're serving the Lord with fervor and with zeal and with passion. Not for us. Not to manufacture a mood. Not for self-glory, but for giving the glory to the one who deserves it all. It's all for him. So there was an explanation, there was an exhortation, but then Jesus closes with an invitation. And I want us to see it in verse 20. It says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. It's a beautiful verse. Often we use this verse to lead someone to Christ. Someone that's not saved, we say, Jesus, invite him into your life. But you know, the primary application of this verse is to the church. Jesus was standing on the outside of the Laodicean church. Can I come in? May Rock Hill never be a place where Jesus is on the outside just saying, man, I wish I could be a part of that service. If any man, if any man will open the door, he says, any man, I'm just looking for one person. I'm just looking for someone to invite me in. I believe that God wants to do a special work in our church, but we have to make sure that we always welcome him and invite him in. I believe that God wants to do a work in your marriage if you'll invite him in. Uh, Jesus will always show up where he's invited. If any man will hear my voice, if any man will open the door, I will come in and sup with him and there will be relationship there. Several years ago, there was a artist named Holman Hunt and he painted Revelation chapter three, verse number 20 on a canvas. We have a picture this morning. And he painted this depiction of Revelation 3.20. And it's a little bit difficult to see in this picture, but um, there was this critic that came and said, your painting looks good, but you made a big mistake. You left something out, you made a mistake. And Holman Hunt said, well, what was the mistake? And he says, you forgot to paint a door knob on the door. <laughs> you forgot to paint a door handle. And he said, that was not a mistake. He said, the doorknob is on the inside. Jesus is knocking, but we have to open the door. You know, there's this time right when Jesus began his ministry, real early on in John chapter 2, before Jesus began his public ministry, he goes to a wedding in Cana. How many of you remember this story? Jesus goes to the wedding in Cana. And he's there celebrating this 
this marriage, John chapter two, verse number one. And the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. And so Jesus goes to this wedding ceremony. But my question is, why did he go? As far as we know, it wasn't any of the disciples getting married. Why did Jesus go to this wedding celebration? Well, the answer is very simple. In the next verse, it says this, in verse number two of John chapter two, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. Jesus attended because he was invited. You will be surprised in life where Jesus will show up if you invite him. This wasn't a Bible study. This wasn't church on Sunday. This was a simple, small town wedding ceremony in this little town of Cana, and yet Jesus showed up. Sometimes we compartmentalize Jesus, and we think Jesus is only interested in me and what I do on Sunday mornings. But can I tell you that Jesus is not just interested in you on Sunday. Jesus is interested in you. And today, I believe that God wants to do a work in your marriage, you have to invite him in. He wants to do a work in your home, in your parenting, you have to invite him in. Uh, perhaps today you are here and you've never received the good news of the gospel message. And uh, in the first service today, we had several people respond uh, to the gospel message and you have to invite Jesus into your life. He's knocking, will you invite him in? As a church, it's my prayer today that we would not stay comfortable in the middle of mediocrity, but that we would check our spiritual temperature, that we would listen to the words of Jesus, and we would uh, move forward in our calling with passion and zeal, all for the glory of God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today as we close.